Author's note. The following is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Especially you, greatest movie of all time. Bitch. Today on the podcast, 500 Days of Summer. What I want. Welcome, everybody, to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show in which I, your co-host, Slick Rick Barrasso, and I, your co-host, Rex Smith, we're going to watch every single movie ever made, and we are going to help decide which is the greatest of them all. And today, we have a special guest to Family Affair. My brother, Anthony Barrasso, is on, and how are you guys doing today? Hello, Excellent. hi. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Love Good. being here with Rick and Rec. Absolutely. Yes. Glad to have you. And uh, it's a it's a Barrasso heavy episode today. So that's good. And uh, Anthony, you have chosen the movie, very appropriate one for Valentine's Day week. But let's uh, let's get to that in a second. Let's talk about last week first. Last week we had a Rick's pick, and we talked about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho classic suspense thriller horror whatever you want to call it and that's part of our double feature flashback to the 60s and i had a lot of fun revisiting that one we hope you enjoyed it too you can lots check of laughs it. lots of laughs in psycho absolutely it's a hilarious movie as 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 we all know you can check that one out in our archives on spotify apple podcasts wherever fine podcasts are found uh, or any of our previous episodes and you can get in touch with us on social media. We are the greatest movie of all time podcast on Facebook at great movie cast on Twitter. And you can email us at greatest at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And of course, as our good dear friend, billionaire Bruce Wayne would say, tell your friends about us this week. Mm-hmm. Anthony, like we said, you have brought to us 500 days of summer. Why this one? So, yeah, I, I've always loved this movie since I first saw it, which was in college. And I think, I don't know, uh, Derek, what your like love life situation is, but I know obviously Ricky was was not like single and dating in his 20s. He was pretty much locked down. But having been a like man in his 20s who was like in and out of different relationships, I feel like this movie like really nails a lot of things about that. Um, and so I've like gone back and watched it a lot of times and I, I get something more from it, from it, I think each time that I watch it. And like I said, it's also one that I, I haven't talked about with Ricky before, which is strange because I usually, we usually talk about all the movies that I love. So, yeah, as I was watching it this time, I, I was reminded of a, a story you told me once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into it, but Yeah. Definitely. I was like, oh, okay, this is why I picked this one. Okay, let's let's do it. So, yeah. I, uh, I, let's just say I have a Jenny Beckman of my own. Ah, yeah. okay. I, I assumed that. You guys were <laughs> fiddling around that. Okay. So, yeah, 500 Days of Summer is from 2009, a year we have recently visited in our Inglorious Bastards episode. Check that one out. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Tom Hansen and Zoe Deschanel as the titular Summer. 
It has a 7.7 on the Internet Movie Database, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 76% on Metacritic. So let's talk about the first time we saw this. Anthony, when did you first see 500 Days of Summer? So I first saw 500 Days of Summer when I was in college. A friend of mine introduced the movie to me. And at the time, I was, it was like when I had first met this friend, at the time I had a crush on her and she like showed me this movie. And I like, the f- first time I saw her, we talked about this off air, but the first time I saw her, it just went completely over my head. And so like the, the line about how like Tom Hansen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character had like a horrible misunderstanding of The Graduate uh, and it like led to his sort of like disposition and outlook on love just like blew right by me. And then I subsequently had a total misunderstanding of this movie. And this girl shows me this movie. I'm like, oh, well, clearly she's in love with me. Um, And having now watched it more and more, I understand that it was was quite like the opposite message. That is hilarious. She's like, I'm going to show him a movie about Mm -hmm. how love, like, this is just not going to work out. Well, so, wait, wait, wait. So, so was this was this the girl who literally you said earlier, like she, no, she was no, the this one? No, this is not my Jenny Beckman. Okay, um, I was going to say, like, what a horrible person she would be if she was like, here's the movie, this is what I'm going to do to you. But but I remember, like, after that movie, I was like, wow, I hate Summer. What, like, a terrible person. And right, then she right. was like, um, no, you, no, I, she, she loved Summer and I loved Tom. And I was like, oh, well, this is, this is just it. This is the issue. I, I don't really love either of them, to be honest. I, I think it's a good movie. I'm not like shooting on the movie. I like mm-hmm. it a lot, but uh, like as people, I mean, I, I didn't really note it, but the, the Tom, like when he's like shooting this shit with his friends is like, oh, like I really like would hate to be friends with these people. Like these people are mm-hmm. noxious. And then Summer, I think is just like, like enough with the, the whole, I love my long dark hair and like cutting it. Like it's just like, oh, okay. Uh, it's yeah, such a, it's such a great line though, because it's so summer. It's so it's such like a great way to describe that that character. Yeah, uh, I almost agree. I almost agree with you, Rick, for a different reason. Like I, I obviously summer's summer's a bitch, but like I, I, I think I can understand somebody disliking Tom for a different reason. That would be like slap him in the face for all the times that Zoe, you know, Zoe's character just like rolls her eyes or just doesn't smile at something that he does. It's like, don't you get it? No, he doesn't. It takes him so long to figure it out. Well, Tom is also like reaching back into like, here's the old jokes from two years ago. Like it's okay. Well, so this is, this is interesting because I feel like there is a great debate on this movie and it is like, does summer suck or was she just, is it, is it, or is it just you're getting the story of like your buddy is telling you about like his ex-girlfriend. And so you're just getting like, that version of this girl that's interesting to think about yeah i we i think we are getting that it's definitely from tom's perspective mm-hmm. but i i think there is like listen let's like getting to it like we're way off track but like mm-hmm. not telling him about the other guy towards the end of the movie is kind of shitty yeah, yeah and like that's, ev- that's everything else i can forgive and be like oh it's just whatever like relationship stuff but i was like all right that happened is all right, you got you to mention that if you're falling asleep on his shoulder on a train. Yeah, right. And like, she knows him. She dated him for how long? He know, She knows what he's going to take from that. That That's the big thing is in this debate, which I think there's like a good like argument for both of whether or not Summer is a good person. But like, that's the good thing I always go back to. And like, she knows Tom 
and like she knows how Tom feels about her. Yeah. And she didn't do anything to to like stop that from happening when she could have. Yeah. That's that's the one where it's like it's over the edge for me. Mm-hmm. The rest of it I can forgive. That one's like, all right, come on. Like, but anyway, Derek, when did you first see 500 this summer? I don't remember. I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I, me and Gia watched it together. I think we, we we've watched it the first time together. And then we introduced it to you and Jen and I think my sister. Um, I remember you and Jen, I think, liking it at the time. Now that I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm recollecting like all the memories, but my sister, I remember, didn't like it. And she was telling me why she didn't like it. And I was confused and we kind of had a, an argument over it, I think, or something like that. I forget. But um, I remember, so since I saw it, I've seen it at least five or six times. It became one of the movies in our kind of like our rotation every few months. But yeah, I remember liking it immediately and, and everything. I thought it was definitely different. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, I had... I mean, I saw it the first time with you. We were sitting on your couch and we were just like, oh, you want to watch a movie? And I think Gia suggested it. I okay. it could be wrong. It could have been you. But one of you suggested it and we watched it and I liked it. But at the time, like I said, I, I saw that and then I saw The Graduate and then I watched it again this time and I just got a whole new understanding of like, oh, right. This is this is what this is. Right. So. And the graduate will be a great episode when we do it. It'll be uh, very interesting. But well, yeah. oh. th- this is another reason why I wanted to pick this movie because I feel like I think it has like a strong following for those who do love it. But I think like at the time it was sort of uh, advertised as like an indie rom com. Yeah. And right. When it's very much sort of like the anti that. So I think it maybe like missed its its audience or, uh, or it's yeah like maybe it, a little too subtle. Right, I was sussing through like the um, the trivia on IMDb, and I was looking through all like the different ratings people gave it. There's a lot of hate for this movie too, so very surprised. It well, I mean, when if, if you look at it, other than like the last act, it is very much structured like a rom com. It's like right. boy meets girl, even though they tell you up front this is not a love story. You know, this this is not what this is, and you are Tom, and that the viewer is Tom in that situation. And and Summer is telling him, and the movie's telling us, this is not what you think it is. And you could very easily, like there's the scene, which I think is maybe taken directly from The Graduate, where it's a side-by-side with Tom is on a bus and Summer is getting married. And in The Graduate, Dustin Hoffman goes and like interrupts the wedding and gets the girl. And at that point, the movie flips and it becomes something else. But you can't advertise that it's a tough movie to advertise because I don't think, I think a lot of people probably went into it not knowing or expecting something different, I should say. That's that's a really good take though, that it, that we're Tom in the movie is summer telling us like, Hey, it's, it's not going to work out. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, like it's a narrator who's just like directly talking to us. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what, uh, what happens in the movie. So Derek, I'm going to ask you to throw 30 seconds on the clock, although it's not a clock. It's a song you play on Spotify. What song are you going to play as I describe what happens in 500 Days of Summer in 30 seconds? You know what, Rick? I'm going to do, I'm going to be a little bit selfish right here. I'm going to play Sacred Hand by the Cosmic Vultures. My right, own there, band. there we go. It's kind of a love song. All right. All right. <laughs> Three, two, one.
We follow Tom Hansen, a romantic, through his relationship with Summer, a somewhat quirky girl who he works with. Out of order, we see the relationship begin and end, Summer seemingly acting irrationally throughout. They eventually break up, and she relatively quickly gets engaged and married to another man. Tom, dealing with the depression caused by this, realizes that he may not have been understanding the situation completely, has one last conversation with Summer, and meets a girl named Autumn, which he takes as a sign that it's time to move on. All right, 24 seconds. Nice job. All right, cool. So that's what happens in the movie. I definitely suggest you check it out because it is a fun watch. It's something that even if you've seen it a long time ago, revisiting it years later might be worth it. You might get something else out of it. Also, also people who are listening, uh, I want to start a vote. If you want us to start putting the actual song that I'm listening to on here, let us know. If we get more than like 10 votes, we're doing it. We're doing it, Rick. Okay, I'll say if, since since we've never gotten more than five votes for anything we've ever put on social media, please follow us on social media. I'm confident that I won't get the extra work. But Listen, we're still podcast babies. <laughs> we are. We are. We're, we're early, but people are listening. People are listening. We had our best month again last month, so that was good. And let's talk about now the our top three favorite scenes in the movie. So, Derek, what's your number three? All right, cheater, cheater, Rex Smith cheats again. I have a tie for third place, uh, but they, but they're very similar because both scenes uh, that I have a tie with are when um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is in the movie theater and he's watching like French black and white movie of himself. Yeah, uh, I was just laughing the whole time. It's just so quirky and so funny. And I also it's tied with the uh, the intro to Summer in the beginning of the movie, which which is also black and white. She's working at an ice cream shop. I, I love both. I think they're both so interesting to just throw in the movie because like when the movie gets a little bit too serious and a little bit too depressing and too close to home for most people, because everyone I think is, you know, most people have experienced the feeling that he gets in this movie um, at least, you know, once or twice. And so throwing these scenes in there kind of breaks up the intensity and makes it a little bit more lighthearted. And that's why I, I like these scenes so much. So those are tied for my bronze. Cool. Good show. I really did love that. You know, foreign movie montage. That was fun. Anthony, to number three. Um, so this was, so I, I didn't cheat. I have I have a single scene for all three, um, but I do, this was a little difficult for me because I think a lot of the like beauty of this movie are sort of like small, like throwaway jokes or like subtext yeah. um, that don't necessarily comprise a scene. So mm-hmm. like to, my, my favorite bit in this movie that always makes me laugh is when he storms out of Summer's apartment and two like women are walking up the stairs and he's walking down. <laughs> And it's like, it's that awkward shuffle in the hallway when he's angry. Um, so like that, that's not a full scene, but I had to mention that. And then also just the, one of the early scenes when it's actually showing the breakup because the movie's shown out of order. Um, and Summer goes, hmm, I love these pancakes. And then never says I love you to Tom the whole oh, man. Yeah. Um, but sorry, I had to get those two out of the way. That's my way of, of cheating. My, my third favorite scene is the, 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 the scene after they first have sex and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Tom Hansen, is walking down the street and like a whole dance scene breaks out. What is that song that, that plays that you're going to play? You Make, my, you, you make my, my Dreams by uh, Hall & Oates. Yeah. So not, not, not so much that I, I love that scene. I think it's like the first times, a few times I watched it, I thought it was like a little much. But one time I was watching it at home and our stepdad uh, walks into the room. Oh, God. Also named Tom. <laughs> also named Tom, who has like never seen a movie 
like let alone like understand <laughs> he's seen the godfather 2 and that's it the color purple <laughs> and remember yeah, the, the color purple <laughs> yeah um but so he walks in watches the is this scene's on he watches it for two seconds and goes wouldn't he just get laid and <laughs> and like that's not like like this so the scene just delivers like if like if that's not proof that it's like doesn't get the job done i don't know what is right that, right th- that scene was, I would say, my number four, just for the part where he looks into his reflection and sees Han Solo. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Yep. But my, uh, my number three, uh, I actually had the opening of the movie. And I almost admire it more from like a, a filmmaking standpoint than a, like a storytelling standpoint, I would say, than like the actual content of the scene. Because literally, it's just like, we're two minutes in the movie. And it's like, here's Tom. He's a romantic. Here's Summer. She's not. This is not gonna work. Let's go, everybody. And I was just, I was just impressed. Like, I looked at the like, wow, they basically told us what's gonna happen in the movie already. So I like that part of it. Derek, what's your number two? Yeah, and actually, just, just to, you know, uh, just, you know, what you just said, and just kind of bounce back off that. This director, um, Mark Webb, I was looking up his his past projects, and before this, he just did like music videos. Right. Um. So I think that's why, like, I, I love a lot of those scenes, the little tiny scenes that kind of explain what's going to happen. It's very quirky, almost like somebody who does music videos or something else would do. But anyway, uh, the second scene that I picked is the expectations versus reality scene. I thought it was just so well done. I love when directors do things like this. It almost kind of reminds me of Tarantino a little bit, the way he like will give you, you know, oh, let's stop and give you a backstory on this character. And it's quirky and it's funny and it's colorful. It's always really fun. It's, like a, it's almost like reading a comic book. Um, and I love the director was like, you know what? I'm going to show you what he expects and what actually happens at the same time. And, and, and a lot of it's cool because a lot of it's almost the same stuff, the way he's walking up the stairs, the way he's doing certain things. And then it breaks off once he gets to the door. And it's just a beautiful scene. It really is. I, I love the direction. Uh, the director yeah. is, is, is awesome. I don't know if this was specifically written in the script. I'm assuming it is. But uh, regardless, this is my uh, my silver. All right. Yeah. Anthony, what's uh, your number my, two? So my silver is is your bronze, Ricky. The the whole intro, I think it, it sets up the, the movie and both characters so perfectly in just really like creative ways by saying like, Tom has a total misunderstanding of the movie, The Graduate. And like, if you've seen The Graduate, like that's all you need to know about Tom and like, all right, I know what's happening. And then Summer, his only, after her parents' divorce has only loved two things, her long brown hair and how she can cut it off and feel nothing. Just like two unbelievable lines. Uh, and yeah, I, like, like you said, it just sets everything up uh, yep. so perfectly. It's so economical. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two actually is the the karaoke bar scene where they are where they hang Tom and summer hang out for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, I think pretty similar, Mo- mostly the conversation they have with, I forget the other character's name, the friend at the table. Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Yeah. Who, by the way, in real life is married to Christina Hendricks. So good for that actor. Good for him. I mean, wow. we've all three of us have outkicked our coverage to some extent or another, but whew, that guy, Good for him, but hey, man, Hollywood's a fantasy. We can say whatever we want. That's I, I, I mean, this guy's living a fantasy. But anyway, he's uh, it, the conversation the three of them have at the at the table, and it's it's this is this scene to me is better the second or third time you watch the movie because I'm literally sitting there. I'm just like, just listen to her, just listen to what she's saying. Come on, man, listen to her and just. 
He just doesn't. And it's again, it's almost similar to the opening where it's just like driving home the fact that this is how this is going to go because these people are different. So Derek, what's your number one? All right, my number one. So um, I will start this off by saying, I think most people who watch this will probably know, and I know Rick knows this, and I'm a big fan of musicals and a big fan of musical numbers. So when I remember first watching this movie, uh, I, Tom was so happy. I felt happy for him. And I was so glad that he came out and did the dance, um, the whole choreographed dance with the little bird. And I thought it was hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing at like, that they, they, they actually did this in this movie. Um, I love the song. I love Hollow Notes. I love musical numbers. So this was and also, you know, I feel like in life, there's a few moments where you feel the happiest and it feels like that that's his moment in life is like, he can't get any better than this. And I've experienced moments where I'm like, oh my God, I want to break out into a song and it's just to have a choreographed dance out in the street. So this is my gold. I, I thought it was so well done. It made me laugh and it made me really happy. So there it is. Great. Excellent. Anthony, what's your number yeah, one? So my gold was the expectations versus reality scene. I think that scene is, is so perfect. Like, all of the little things that just go a little bit differently from like in the expectations, like getting a kiss at the door versus like getting hugged at the door in reality or like a hand on the shoulder instead of like a full hug. Like the, the idea that like, like I've just been in that situation so many times where it's like, all right, this girl I'm into, I'm going to a party. She's going to be there. And like, this is how it's going to go. And then you get there and you're still just you. You're not some like magic movie version of you that like is super suave and like kills it at parties and like gets the girl. Um, and it just goes, not that, it, you know, it typically doesn't end in quite as much of a disaster as this yeah. one does. But uh, yeah, I just, especially like the early parts of that, it's just so heartbreaking to see the like the differences and how they just build. And then the song is great. The Regina Spector song, uh, Hero playing over it is, is yep. like, I, uh, I had the same. I had the expectation versus reality for my number one as well. And it's, I, th I think it gets to the point where you're watching the expectation side of things and you're like, oh, maybe this is what we've been watching all along. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we haven't been in reality. And I don't know if we were recording when we talked about, you know, sort of this movie is so subjective from Tom's point of view. And it's that's the point where you realize it, where mm -hmm. he's the hero and not just because it's played up more like it's a more stark difference with the split screen. But I think maybe he's 10 percent cooler than he actually like the real situation was, you know, who's the writer of this movie or you know, whoever story this is 10 to 15 percent cooler than they were in that situation. And mm -hmm. I mean, from that point forward, he's just kind of a mess you know, right. throughout the movie. So I think that's the point where we shift. We are then shifting from expectation to reality and what we're watching. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a, it's such a clever way to do it. And it does get you to the point where, like we said before, that's the point where summer, like the one thing summer does in the whole movie where I'm just like, I'm done with this girl. Mm. But it's so, it's so her too. It's it just is such a great. Yeah. It's consistent, but it's, it's, it's all right. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. that's what we liked about the movie. Let's talk about uh, our least favorite parts of the movie. And I'll start this one because I'm pretty passionate about this. No one has that much fun in Ikea. Ooh. <laughs> all right. All right. Ikea, Ikea is a hellscape. I get anxiety thinking about going there. It's the worst place in the world. Can I tell you three different people have told me 
about the meatballs there in the cafeteria. Like you got to try the meatballs. In Best you'll life. ever have in your entire life. They I was like, these are like, these, these are frozen meatballs I could make at home. Yeah. You would have to force feed me meatballs that are made at a furniture store. <laughs> uh all right, I, I agree in that I hate I, going to Ikea. Sorry, you know, maybe we're losing, you're losing Ikea as a potential sponsor here. But Next week, Fight Club. <laughs> yeah. Fuck um, Ikea. <laughs> but I have been on a, a first date before, uh, and, and next door to the restaurant was a furniture store. And to, like, kill time when we were waiting for our table, we, like, pretended that we were buying couches. Pretty good time. Yeah, is this your current fiancé? It is not. No. Okay. Well, okay. So there we go. Yeah. D- yeah. It didn't work out. It was, it was the first and only date with this girl. <laughs> okay. But, but it was a pretty, it is a pretty good time. It's a fun, it's a, it's a, it's a cool date move. I would say. Nice. Ikea is a hellscape. That's all I have to say. Yeah, Don't do it in Ikea. Yeah. Do, not like a lazy Cause you, cause you know what it is in Ikea. You're, you're committed to like an hour. Cause mm-hmm. it's a maze. If, yeah. if the date's not going well, it's just an awkward trudge. Right. Yeah. There. <laughs> Anthony, what's your least favorite part of this movie? So um, one thing I didn't like about this movie was the sort of um, lack of like a B plot or like any sort of development of any of the side characters. Yeah. Uh, which is especially disappointing to me because because this movie is so much like the characters are so much in the movie itself is so much like a critique of the kind of classic rom-com, rom-com tropes. And one of my favorite, favorite rom-com trope is like the overly masculine best friend who's just like, all I care about is like watching the game and drinking beers. Yeah, and like man. that, that character is always so funny to me. Like just the completely one dimensional male friend. You um, know, I, I, I like that. I like that thought. I like the, the no B plot. And I wish almost that the friend who was married was more like that almost like um like in the hangover like bradley cooper's character ended up being yeah and then like you just have him be that and then you just totally subvert it in the black and white like confessional scene Mm because that's such a weird little part of the movie yeah and the other thing is i kind of wish that clark Gregg was joseph gordon levitt's father in the movie instead of his boss yeah well so i I think it's 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 like a really strong cast like yeah not that like there's a ton of like Oscar winners there on there, but I, almost every minor character I have seen in other things, and they've like had full careers. To your, um, to your point, and I, I this jumped out at me when I was looking it up. Like Minka Kelly, who plays Autumn, who is a, like a relatively big star, mm-hmm. is like she's in one scene for like a minute, yeah, and she's like sixth build in the movie. Yeah, she's she. It's it's interesting because yeah, there there are great actors in here. Yvette Nicole Brown is in it and has like one line. I, she's yeah. fantastic. Have you ever seen Community? It's very, it's very much like it's, it's a two-hander, and yeah, you know, they, they kind, I think they did sort of, sort of wedge that scene where it's, you know, Clark Gregg and the two friends talking about here's my experience with love, mm-hmm. just to give them like break it up a little bit. I think maybe there was something written in and it just got sort of diluted because of like the the wedding, yeah, being one, like a coworker. Like it seems like they were they were maybe setting something like that up, but it just through the editing we just lost a, a big chunk of it. Yeah, yeah. Derek, what do you have for your least favorite? Um, so I actually agree with with Anthony on this. Um, I wrote uh, the side characters were a little bit weak, 
Um, I felt like, you know, there could have been a scene in there or maybe where Tom helps them with something like that, just to make Tom um, even a, a more likable character. Um, not that he needs it because I, I feel like I already like him a lot, but it would be nice to, to just kind of jump in a little bit more detail with side characters, just kind of there just to be there. Um, even the relationship with his sister, halfway through the movie, I was just, I turned to my wife and I was like, she, she's his sister, right? And he's, she's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, all right. And, and, and another so, great actress who's just being like not used at all. Yeah. Well, this year is so young in this. This would be poor yeah, Kick-Ass, though, right? Yeah. She was, I mean, I think Kick-Ass was only like a year or two later. Yeah. Out, so I, I feel like there must have been some kind of more of like a family plot because these these movies, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff with the family and the graduate, obviously, which is riffing on so much. And I I feel like they're and the sisters there and they mention the parents. So it's not like the parents are dead. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the brother is alone at the sister's soccer games, drawing pictures. I, was, I don't know about that as like a guy in his 20s, if you'd be doing that necessarily. Yeah, right. without the parents there it's kind of odd yeah yeah totally and i have another thing too that i'm that i was i wrote down and i'm still thinking about it and, and I, again this is arguable i might get a lot of disagreements on here but i just feel like i haven't met a lot of people who are completely unempathetic if that's a word like uh, zoe's character like she just it's it's almost annoying to me that the writers didn't even give, give her like more likable qualities because like I know Tom loves her so much and he's like obsessed with her. And I've been in that position where you get in a relationship, especially at a young age where you're like, I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. All I know is that I'm obsessed with this feeling of being with this person. But she's like really, really unlikable, yet she's gorgeous and you just hate that. Um, so I kind of wish they maybe made her more likable. It, it kind of made me aggravated. It's almost like the dialogue between them. Like she just like, I, I've never been in a relationship where like, so I can't relate so much, but where there was no, there's no conversation. Like I have to be detailed. Somebody's mad. Let's discuss it. Like she won't give him anything. And it's like, is that, I mean, I'm certain that there's people like that, but I've never met somebody specifically like that. So it kind of bothered me. Like I couldn't relate as much to somebody who's just not empathetic whatsoever. So that kind of bothered me too, but that's just me. How much of this is the story that Tom's telling us though? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's another point. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Right. Because we see Summer exactly once after she, or at least like in scenes where she talks after the expectation versus reality scene, and she is pretty empathetic in that. And she's in that last scene with that last conversation between the two of them. Right. So it, I, I do wonder if that's. Yeah, it's almost like the end of Clue. It's like, and here's what really happened. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll have more to say on that a little bit later when we give out medals, but um, cool. yeah, I kind of agree. I, I go back to the idea that this is this is your friend telling you about their their ex and like everything that went wrong and like and just painting that picture. Uh, so it's like a very one one sided look at, at this at this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But that's a great segue because medals are next. Let's start with you, Anthony. What's your uh, what's your bronze? Uh, so my bronze are the uh, two writers of the script, Scott Neustetter and uh, Michael Weber, Michael H. Weber. Um, I just think it's a really strong script. It did get a Golden Globe uh, nomination, um, and I'll make a case for it, potentially getting an Oscar nom. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it is, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's two people who uh, both really love romantic comedies, but also see the like faults in them and the kind of like silliness in them. And they, they, I thought they did a great job writing the script to like sort of critique it, but also make a really great romantic type comedy type movie. Yeah. Derek, who's your, uh, who's your bronze? 
my bronze goes to Zoe Deschanel. I thought she did great in this movie, um, but I also think that she is Zoe in a lot of movies that she's in or TV shows for that matter. She's always her. Um, in this movie, she's just kind of her, but a little bit more reserved, I guess, as far as like her personality goes, because her personality in real life uh, from interviews I've seen is always just shines through movies as well. You're like, oh, she's kind of like the same thing. Well, kind of like our Jack Nicholson is like Jack Nicholson in movies now. So it's not a fault of hers but um i did think she did a good job in this and uh she has that thing about her that really really pretty um she's beautiful even and she's just so annoying in this movie at the same time so it like in, in a way i feel tom's pain of like you know it's like i wish i didn't feel this way almost sometimes about her and so she she's one of those girls who just kind of drives you nuts but i think that's me and i think that's probably her acting job too she does a good job of making you feel that way so she gets my bra so my bronze, I had Mark Webb, the director. Yeah, we, we talked about earlier. He's, I mean, this is his first movie. And yeah. he, he has a debut writer, like directorial and, and writing. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. And not only is it, you know, a, I don't know if I'd call this a cult classic necessarily, but it's a very well-regarded movie. It's, it's, mm -hmm. there's some great directorial flourishes in there. He flexes his muscles with the musical scene. Uh, that, that we had talked about before and he gets I mean it didn't end up working out but he does get the amazing Spider-Man series off of this and yeah you know, that's you know he so he like parlays that into just a huge huge blockbuster series which you know maybe in Spider-Man 3 we see uh, we see that version come back but we'll see we'll see that was another thing I wanted to say about the, the, the writers and the director like this was such a strong movie but they were sort of like one hit wonders. I think the writers wrote something like semi-recently that got some like award um, recognition. I had it up, uh, but, but for the most part, it, it's strange to me that they like the director and these guys kind of came on, made this great movie and then didn't have a big, big follow-up until like several years later. They wrote The Disaster Artist. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yeah which was another really, really good one. Um, but like, that's like almost 10 years apart, like eight, eight years apart or something. Uh, but I'll, my, I'll jump into my silver, which I went back and forth on uh, the two lead yeah. leads in the movie, who's going to get silver, who's going to get gold. I ended up giving uh, silver to Zoe Deschanel. Um, I think she, I think the, the two actors sort of had different, like opposite um, goals, opposite, opposite things they needed to achieve. Whereas Summer or Zoe Deschanel somehow had to make Summer unlikable without doing anything outright bad. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had to make Tom very likable while doing things that are sort of ob objectively annoying. And I do think they do both, they both do a pretty good job of that. Like Zoe Deschanel, or, or Summer rather, let's put it this way. Zoe Deschanel did such a good job of like making this character hateable that I hated Zoe Deschanel for like 10 years after I first saw this movie. Like I could not separate this character from her. Um, and, and, and she really didn't even do anything that bad, uh, but she does somehow make this character like unlikable to and maybe it's to like single guys watching the movie only. Uh, but it, it, it's, I, go ahead. I feel like if not for Elf, uh, then I, I would have felt the same way. Yeah. I, and this is like, we've talked about this before. This, this, this casting Zoe Deschanel in this role 
reminds me of how we've talked about Dennis Leary in Rescue Me. Whereas like that, it, like Dennis Leary isn't a, a, an amazing actor, but like that that's was just- role, that's, that's the role for him. That is the role for him. And like casting Zoe Deschanel as like the stereotypical or like archetype of the manic pixie dream girl. You're stepping on my toes here a little bit, but oh, yeah. sorry, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Like you can't cast it better than that. Yeah, I, I agree. Derek, who's your, uh, who's your silver? All right, so I would say, you know, this was tough for me because I, I, I do this a lot, but I actually changed my mind right before we started. Um, I added Mark Webb to the silver as well as the writers because I just had the writers for a while. But my problem is, is I don't know who really did what. I don't know if the script mm-hmm. called for all the quirky scenes that I liked in the movie. So I wasn't sure if that was like Mark Webb's addition to the script and his sort of direction. So I had to clump all three in the silver because I think the collaboration between the three of them made the movie what it was. And I'm sure there were moments where like, you know, the script called for something that didn't really work on screen. And Mark was like, you know what, let's try this. And, and the writers were like, well, you know, let's help you with this. And I think it might've been a collaboration, but I couldn't just pick and choose. So I, that's why I put all three of them in there. But I think it's, it's, it's odd. It's an odd movie because it puts so many emotions into one film and they all work somehow. And, so, and a lot of movies can't do that. And this is really bizarre that, uh, I forget which one you brought this up, but this director did the amazing Spider-Man movies. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say something, and this is completely random because I had no idea that he did those movies, but I was going to bring up something about one of those movies. I, have, I haven't seen it or either of them, but I remember listening to a podcast and I remember the people in the podcast complaining at how much Peter Parker cries in one of the Amazing Spider-Man movies. They were like, the whole movie is literally him crying and there's like 20 minutes of Spider-Man. And they're like, it's bad. It's like so bad to the point where like, you know, whatever. And I was going to bring that up as kind of like, there are other movies out there that can't do emotions well, but this one doesn't do emotions great. And now for some odd reason, this director did both of those. And I didn't know that, <laughs> which is completely crazy because <laughs> yeah. the amazing Spider-Man movies are kind of random as opposed to this one. But this movie, I don't know what it is. It just, it brings you happiness. It, it makes you depressed. You feel for these people. Well, I mean, obviously Tom, because I think people experience the things that he does and they make mistakes and they do stupid things for, for women or vice versa. And so I guess my point is just all emotions into one big, pot you mix it up and you get this movie i mean that's that's really it yeah so they well, get my silver and I, I think the idea of, of giving that combined metal to the writers and director makes sense based on what I was, I was just talking about it's like they didn't really neither of them like went on to do anything much better than this right after. maybe they so needed maybe each there other. Is something special yeah. about that collaboration right yeah so my silver i kind of had the same uh dilemma as anthony uh where it's it was just Gordon Levitt or, or Zoe Deschanel, and I, I went the other direction. My silver is just Gordon Levitt, and the only reason, and we'll talk about it as I get to my gold as well. But the, one of the big reasons why I went with him as silver as opposed to gold is because the stuff he ended up doing after this ended up being very different, and it, he, maybe he didn't capitalize on this as much because he doesn't end up doing a lot of like. He could have been like a big romantic lead. I feel like he had he had a moment there, you know, mm-hmm. from from this to say like uh, Dark Knight Rises or like the night before, where he he which he kind it, I mean it's a Christmas movie it is, it is is a romantic movie as well which is kind of the one that he does something a little bit similar, and you know maybe just him as as an actor wanted to stretch out and do different things and work with Christopher Nolan and who is allergic to any sort of romance in his movies, so. You know, so he's I mean, but he does a great job. He 
like you said, is tasked with making a pretty unlikable character likable. And I think he does really walk the line as just kind of like a relatable asshole who doesn't really realize he's an asshole. Anthony, I, I, it sounds like you're going to talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt with your gold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets my gold. I, I think, yeah, I know, I know we talk about, you talk about how the, the medals are typically like given to people who like do big things after. And yeah. and I think th- this movie, I think the way this timing kind of works out is this was kind of his transition from being like the kid on Third Rock from the Sun right. and in 10 Things I Hate About You to like being an adult actor. Yeah. Um, and, and I agree. I think the reason he went different directions is it, based on what how I've like heard him talk and what he's done with his career is I think he just wanted something different, like artistically for his career um, than being a romantic lead. Uh, yeah. He's also like big into music and, and other like artistic it, pursuits. Yeah. It strikes me as like he doesn't and I don't mean this as a criticism, but he doesn't love acting like other big stars love acting. You know, yeah, I, I would sort of agree with that. Um but yeah, I, I agree. I think he does. I think in the in the wrong actor, this movie stinks because Tom yeah. is just not likable. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt has that like when he is like depressed over the breakout breakup. I think of the one of the early scenes when he's just smashing plates in his kitchen. Like he right. just he takes <laughs> that like that like overly emotional like 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 heartachey boy um, <laughs> like just far enough that it's funny. So, so you don't, he doesn't get sort of like annoying. Um, right. And like when he's like buying like whiskeys and Twinkies uh, and he like <laughs> yells at that couple to get a room. Like it's just so over the top that you like yeah. laugh at it and you can't hate this character. But I think that easily could have been like a very annoying, hateable person. Yes. If, if it was not the right actor. Yep. Yeah. Derek, who's your, uh, who's your gold? We can continue this conversation because it's perfect because yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is my gold, and he is so good at being mopey and making it funny. I love every scene of him being upset because, like, yeah, I feel for him because I've been in similar situations, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he has such charm. I don't think a lot of other actors could have pulled this off, like you said, and make this like a like, likable character. And, and it almost feels like a sequel to 10 Things I Hate About You. It's like when his character gets a little bit older and he's dealing with other women now, and it's like... He's still striking out and stuff like that. I think it's hilarious. But to your point, Rick, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think he's a powerhouse actor who can do a lot of different things, but chooses not to, I guess. I'd love to see him. There's a few actors in Hollywood who like keep doing the same types of roles, but I'd like to see him do like more of a villainous role in the future. Um, something that's completely different because I feel like he has it in him to do it because like movies of conception, he's still kind of Joseph Gordon-Levitt only in a suit and doing a, a specific job. But there's something about this movie, like you said, maybe maybe this is his genre um, because he's so good at being charming and he's so good at um, being funny and then being sad. He, he can he can do it all. And you believe him. Um, I don't know if you guys see, have seen 50-50, but he's, yeah. he's tremendous in that movie. He's so good at being angry. And like you said, the dishes, like, what, what, I mean, he's one of those actors who can make that upsetting and funny at the same time. Like he is... He is feeling like absolute dog shit, yet he's making it hilarious, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's incredible. I, I think uh, I think he shines really really well in this movie, so he's my gold. I would not be shocked in any way if at some point we get a trilogy of Robin movies with Joseph, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so the director. Yeah, I, I've watched that. Um, did you see, have have either of you seen the Trial of the Chicago Seven? Uh, no, I haven't movie? watched it yet. So it's, it's great. Um, he's in it. He's not quite a villain, but he does play like the the prosecuting lawyer in it. 
but I know Derek, you said like you'd like to see him be a villain, and so he does. He's more of a like morally gray character, at least in that. In that, gotcha. Um, it's a great movie too. I'd recommend it. Cool. So I got to be different, and I'm giving the gold to Zoe Deschanel, and I I think I was a little rough on her in our almost famous episode because I think that's you were you were very yeah. rough on her to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think she's great in that movie, but watching this one now is she's so much better in like what what is that like nine years between the two movies she well, she also gets a lot more screen time in this that's true but i just i mean the character the sister i mean we, we're not going to relitigate her in uh right. in almost famous again but she's great in this and i'm gonna echo a lot of what anthony said this is a girl who tom is trying to make into his manic pixie dream girl but she's just not having it and she does build her career on the back of this character. It's her whole image is basically Summer, really. And, you know, she's, I mean, in New Girl, I feel like she's like Summer, but funnier. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, she, this is the start of her, I mean, to borrow a wrestling term, this is her gimmick, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's, she's great in the movie. And I, I would say that, yeah, just going to the character of Summer a bit that it I, I'd almost like to see 500 days of Tom and like a hundred percent. Yeah. Like this, this movie from her perspective to be like, Oh, Oh, maybe I didn't consider that. Yeah. When we do the recasting, I, I, I will talk about like, like gender swapping these, these roles. Okay. I, I think that would be interesting. Okay. So let's get to recasting then. Cause I, I'll, I'll Wait, start. Before we move on to that. Sorry. Yeah. I do. I this is just a plug for New Girl because I think people sleep on that show. I think it's a lot better than people think it is, and I think like Zoe Deschanel, like I, you know, she sort of chose a different career path after this movie than Joseph Gordon-Levitt did, and she chose to like hop onto a TV show and like use her her star star power that she gained from this to like parlay that into a really like excellent funny show. Uh, that she was, you know, the, the main character. I, I feel like the whole Deschanel family was just like, we're going to get on TV. Our shows are going to be on for a hundred years. Yep. And we're just going to, we're just going to rake in, uh, rake in money from reruns for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So let's do recasting. I'm going to, I'm going to do one. I have, uh, I have one. And as much as I do love Zoe Deschanel in this movie, I think maybe going in a different direction. And we mentioned a couple of times, Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I went with someone who actually did play a manic pixie dream girl in a movie and i think she could have been in this and i think this actress probably could have could have used a a lot of uh shitty uh creepy guys liking her in this performance and i think natalie portman could have been summer okay i could do that yeah because she has that i feel like she has the experience i mean she's been similar to the character of summer was like kind of creeped on since she was 13 years old and Mm -hmm. you know and she had i mean as we found out in the last few years fucking how toxic star wars fandom is and like how much shit i'm sure she got playing padme through these movies i think she could use that in the performance uh i struggled i I didn't i didn't recast anything else i was trying to think of someone who could be you could replace joseph gordon levitt but i did find like oh this would be too much in one direction or the other. I think he strikes a really good balance. So I didn't do that. So that's a little bit boring for me in, uh, in, in recasting, but Anthony, you're gender swapping. So I did two things. So I did a, a modern day recasting and okay. 
like at the time I have a few like potential gender swapping castings because I, I like, yeah, I think there were a lot of other pairings that could have made like a good movie, but no, no other pairing could have like done better than what Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel did. So for my modern day recasting, I, I think Tom Holland could do Tom Hansen. Yep. Um, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. And then uh, I think Summer could uh, could be Zendaya based on, you know, I think they have great yeah. chemistry in the Spider-Man movies. And she is like, she has that like kind of, could play that like mysterious manic pixie dream girl yeah, uh, yeah. type role. And then also, I don't know if you guys have, have seen uh, Euphoria, the, the HBO show that Zendaya is on. Um, her co-star in it who is sort of plays like like zendaya's character's manic pixie dreams girl dream girl is excellent her name's hunter schaefer i would love to see her in like a bigger role because she's really great in that show and then as far as like i i think it would be fun to maybe see how this like this movie works with like a, a female lead or or potentially from like summer's perspective so i was trying to think of potential Joseph Gordon-Levitt type females that could uh, lead this movie sort of around that time. Um, and I came, so I think uh, Brie Larson could play both of these roles. Um, yeah. I, I could see her as a Manic Pixie Dream Girl and also as the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. I think Issa Rae, if you're familiar with yep. Issa Rae, she wasn't really big at the time, but like seeing her work now and she is the right age, I think she could play that like, like uh, sort of every man, every woman type character who's like chasing after a, a like manic tricks, uh, pixie dream boy. Um, and then as like the, the summer character on a male side, I think could either be uh, Michael B. Jordan or like a Jake Gyllenhaal, just like, like strong actors. I, but, Jake but Gyllenhaal, like, I really considered putting in here, but he's, it was, he's just too much. To, well, he's too good looking to be tall. Yeah, yeah, like, I agree. But he's he's I think he would make a great summer. Um, yeah, yeah, and he's like, a very versatile actor too. Yeah. yeah, I like it, Derek. You have any recasting? All right, here we go. This is a wild card. I'm excited for this. I've never right. done this before. I actually did not cast recast this movie because I think it's perfect in every way. But I'm throwing in a new category in here because I didn't All do right. my job. Okay. My new category, and it could just be for this episode, it could be future episodes. But I am continuing the story with about five sentences. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think should happen after the credits of this movie. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Tom documents 194 days of autumn and she breaks his fucking heart. She ends up sleeping with Mackenzie, his drunken friend. Whoa. He's always drinking and making a fool of himself. Good for Mackenzie because she's never found love. Bad for Tom. Tom becomes an architect, moves to Chicago, and meets a girl named April, who he marries. They have three daughters, June, Winter, and Carol. The end. Carol? <laughs> yeah, with Christmas Carol. I get it. Uh, you know what? Carol was, was meant to be like the oddball name, but then it ended up making sense afterwards because of Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I just hope that Tom Hansen just only dates women with like names of months or seasons. He or has whatever. to. And then has like, kids all named it, like that. It, it just gets revealed that he, like we carry this out even further, that he just has this weird fetish for like women with these. these <laughs> he's a serial killer. It yeah, ends up that he's, he's like, all these women are dead now. I, I mean, that's that's quite the, 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 the sequel idea. Um, I, imagine though, if you had a friend, he was hung up on this girl Summer 
And then he starts dating in autumn. And you're like, okay, it's a coincidence. Yeah. The third, if he, if he dates a girl named Winter or like April or May or June or something like it, that afterwards, you'd be like, okay, we have to sit <laughs> down and talk seriously. What, <laughs> what, how would you react to a buddy of yours who, who did that? So Especially if he was like, you, he's like, what? I'm in love. He's like, I'm in love with Autumn, but her birthday's on July 8th, and it's making me think of summer now. <laughs> well, things ruined. So when you need help. You need help. I have a friend who dated three girls named Emily in a row. Ooh. Oh, shit. Um, and he's still with the third Emily, and she's great, and they've been together for a long time, and they're they're not married, but they're going to be together forever. But the like, he brought the, like, the second Emily to an engagement party, and then the third Emily to that wedding. And so it was like within a year and like everyone was confusing her for the previous Emily. Oh no. Uh, and it just, like, and I was, I was like, all right, listen, like this is fine, but this is, like, you can't date any more Emily's after this. Like, can't it do has, it. This has to be were, it. Were they all spelled the same way? Uh, I don't know. I think okay. so. Okay. <laughs> One of them was like Amelie. No, well, I, I mean, think. you could do like, there's uh Emily DeRaven, the actress on Lost, is spelled differently mm-hmm. than than the traditional spelling. So I mean, there are different ways, but yeah, that's three in a row. That's that's something. Yeah. It's common enough that it's like, all right, but like like if it's one more, like there's no way that it's cool. I feel. I mean, like I feel like two. You're like, okay, three is like, all right, listen, this is this is enough. And I'll say that we don't yeah. make fun of him enough for it. Like he started up. You have to listen to this like, this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like almost too weird to make fun of sometimes. You know what I mean? Like it is, it is like pushing that. It's like, upsetting. If I mean, if if they ever end up breaking up, I mean, the floodgates just have to open at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah I almost got caught in that. I, I dated two Christines in a row, and I was getting kind of nervous. But uh, luckily, getting nervous. Uh, well, yeah, well, I was you, like, "This is it." What if you, you need know? a great Christine after the second one. <laughs> no, I couldn't do it. I'm like, she's the perfect person for me, but we can't do it based on her name. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the Twitter follow of the week. And, uh, I mean, let's just follow our guest here, Anthony, if we're giving your uh, your Twitter handle out. Uh, oh, sure. We'll, the show will follow you, and that is at Dr. Barrasso, at Dr. Barrasso. So follow Anthony and talk to him about 500 Days of Summer, or if you want him back on the show, let him know what movie you want to see him talk about. He's but, our 500 Days of Summer expert. 500 Days of Anthony. I've seen uh, enough that I am, I am an expert. I would like to proclaim myself an expert on this on this movie. All right. So let's talk about the, yeah, we talk about this every week. Only one movie can be the greatest movie of all time. And we're going to help figure out which one is. But I would say every movie does at least one thing better than every other. And uh, Derek, what does 500 Days of Summer do better than any other movie? You know, when we do this, it's kind of hard because... You know, we sit down and we're like, let me compare this to every other movie I've ever seen. And it's like not really plausible. So I usually just do things that are really, really great in this movie rather than because I'm sure in a couple of days I'm like, ah, you know what? This movie did this better. But um, I sort of had two things. Um, one thing that I really thought was great in this movie um, and better than a lot of movies I've seen, um, it depicts real life pretty good. Um, a lot of movies are really bad with dialogue and like, real relationships and real scenarios there's a lot of scenarios in movies that are just bad you're like that would never happen in real life even if it was meant to be a fantasy but this is good i i found myself uh relating to a character in this movie and i don't relate to a lot of characters in movies i really don't so it was good for me to relate to tom in a way because i i felt like that 
and it's shitty and it's awful. And it's like, how am I ever going to feel good ever, ever again? You know, AKA just breaking your kitchen because of how you feel. So I get that. And I thought it did a really good job of, of depicting that. Uh, the other thing I really, really loved, and it, this again relates to me specifically, is I love that like they sort of got together because of the band, The Smiths. They bring them up a couple of times. Oh, you listen to The Smiths? Yeah, I didn't, you know, in the in kind of like, oh, I didn't know anyone listened to The Smith type thing. I love the band, not because my last name is Smith, but I can relate to this movie in a lot of ways because I met my wife because of the band um, sort of thing. And uh, so I can relate to that in a really, really cool way. And I don't I think I've ever seen another movie where it does this. So I think that does, you know, better than any other movie I've seen and for that specific reason. So my, mine is similar, uh, if I could go next. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think better than any movie, this, this shows like, this is the most realistic depiction of like a beginning, middle and end of a like failed relationship of two people in their twenties. I think like at one point people who, who were dating through their twenties have been a Tom or have been a summer or, or both. Um, they're both. Have like, you been a manic, manic pixie dream guy to somebody, Anthony? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. Like, like you're in, in like you can, and, and, and that's why I think this movie is so great. Cause you can go back to it in, in like, cause you, I've been in a relationship where I know that I'm not as into this person as they are into me. And that is like heartbreaking in a different way. And we never really got to see that with Summer's character, but like she was going through a hard time too during the breakup, even though it didn't seem that way. So I think like those like little things when uh like Tom like flashes her the like uh like Ringo album and she just has like haha like like those kind of little things like show mm. that kind of like slow deterioration of of a relationship. Right. I think er early on uh Derek mentioned the Smiths that scene when he like just plays the Smiths really loud to like get her attention <laughs> is like is like such eh? a move eh? like <laughs> such a move you do to like get a coworker like like something like like so it's like subtle and then um uh like something you do early when you like are interested in someone uh or like the complete overreaction to like what did you do this weekend uh and or like how was your weekend she goes it was good and he goes it's over like <laughs> yes that that's that's so true of like early on when you're interested in a girl and it's like very exciting and like everything is so dramatic um, I just think it, it like the stages of that sort of failed relationship was played out so well in this movie. And I've, I've never seen it played out this way in, in anything else. So. I had mine is, I think this is the best movie that is secretly about, I mean, what has kind of become a buzz term in, in you know, years following is toxic masculinity. Because I, we, we talked about it before where, you know, Tom watched The Graduate and got the wrong message from this. And I feel like a lot of people have watched this movie and got the wrong message from it mm -hmm. and been like, oh, yeah, you know, Summer, that bitch. And, you know, Tom got screwed over. And granted, she was she was not the most graceful way to, to end a relationship. Uh, but I think a lot of people like harped on like, see what like this is what women are and, and they just didn't and they didn't realize that the movie was kind of about how shitty they are mm -hmm. so i mean i think that's it's it's good at, at holding a mirror up to that but I, oh, go ahead, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off but I, I was i almost said that this was like like tom is maybe the best um like this type of character this like 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 emo like sad boy 
lead male like in a breakup like I, I guess I guess basically it's like my, my question is do you, would you rank Tom above uh, like John Cusack and High Fidelity? Ooh, I I think you have to give it to High Fidelity on that one. John Cusack's character is so much more detailed as to why, yeah. as to all the whys. He's given us countdowns. He's looking. He's breaking the fourth wall. So I feel like the character was. Well, I don't know. I think he was more tailored for that role than maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say, but. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're actually pretty similar characters in a lot of way, but uh, a lot of ways, I should say. But uh, I, yeah, I think I got to give it to Cusack there because he's just so off the rails, you know. For it, c- even compared to like, you know, buying whiskey and Twinkies in your bathrobe, like Cusack is like, I'm gonna find all my ex girlfriends and prove that they all suck, <laughs> and I'm the best. And well, to be fair, too, I mean, John Cusack's character did have sex with another woman during his time trying to get her back, whereas, he was like, he you know, was like objectively way worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah whereas <laughs> Tom was like, no, 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 I, I still want my girl and I won't do anything else until I get her. If if we were casting this movie in the in like the 80s, I think John Cusack is. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Tom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is, Tom is basically like a, a midway point between John Cusack and say anything and John Cusack and high fidelity. You know, Tom's Tom is a huge say anything fan. Oh yes, yeah, oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, he's he loves it. He's he's you could easily put that instead of the, the graduate in there in that line. It would have worked just as well. So so Tom is basically the love child of several uh, John Cusack characters. Is John Cusack John Cusack is old enough? I, I feel like my, in my head, John Cusack plays Tom's father in this movie. If, if no, I, I, I mean, boss. I was going to say, I think that's a missed yeah. opportunity. John Cusack yeah. should have played his father in at least one scene. I think it's all the same person starting at like, he's like 18, 19 and say anything. And then his, in his mid twenties, he moves to LA and becomes an architect. And then that doesn't go well. So he, he starts working at this record store and he becomes just very, a very bitter old, older man. <laughs> Top five reasons Tom, John Cusack should be in this movie. Go. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so let's talk about the Oscars. And we we did recently talk about the this this year, uh, like we said in our Inglorious Bastards episode. But let's see if we can get 500 Days of Summer in there. I think we can. So, if you remember, uh, it, this movie, by the way, gets zero Oscar nominations. Uh, it's it does get the uh, the Golden Globe Best Musical or Comedy, which can kind of be a weird category. Golden Globes are always weird, but uh, yeah worth worth mentioning there but let's talk about best picture this year now if you remember in our glorious bastards episode we did decide in glorious bastards should win best picture over the hurt locker which was the actual winner so as of right now our winner for the oscars in glorious bastards uh the other nominees are the hurt locker avatar the blind side district nine an education precious a serious man up and up in the air. This is the first year they went to 10 nominees because everyone had a heart attack when the dark Knight didn't get nominated the year before. I'm okay. One- well, right off the bat, fuck the blind side. Yep. I want to kick the blind side right off. Right of this in the ball. List. Yeah. Right in the ball. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I agree. Like the blind side is not that good of a movie, but in like 2009, it was, it was, like it's 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 so like now we're at the point where it's just so clearly like oh like white savior like 
So I, I get why it was nominated at the time, but I, I agree. I, if, well, if I, I, think, I think it, it does well as a fiction, but like, I think doing research, like that doesn't really even, that didn't really happen in real life. Right. So like, they took a real story and turned it upside down and was like, no, 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 we're going to make this really Hollywood. I think that's why I dislike it so much. I, I think that's a movie where like, if, if anyone else plays the Sandra Bullock role, it, it just, it like, get no attention. And it just it's just like is is relegated to the wastebasket of all these other types of bullshit, like inspirational sports movies that don't really work from this era that like in the post right. remember the Titans world. Yeah, I'd say I'd say replace that with 500 days. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah. And this might be a hot take, but I kind of think both Avatar and the Hurt Locker stink. Like, I think they were both pretty good. Hurt Locker, I think is. Yeah, I would say very good. But pretty good, bordering on very good. Yeah. Avatar, I think, wins points for the technical achievement. Yeah. And I think you can make the case where it's just like, it does so well here, we have to recognize it. I remember I saw Avatar with you, and we walked out, and we were both, you, you I think, said it perfectly. You were like, that was good, but like, when am I ever going to watch that again? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. perfect. Yeah. And now it's, they're making like 13 sequels. Yeah, James Cameron it, only wants to tell stories in the Avatar uh, world. This this is this is going to make Anthony roll his eyes, but go to Disney World, go to the Avatar Land and you will your opinion will change of the of the world. The movie is not great. That like from a story perspective and from like an acting perspective I, I think they really tried to make that actor uh who played jake in that movie what's his name um they really sam worthington yeah sam worthington that was like they were like they came out hot it was like here's three huge sam worthington things and he's mm -hmm. just like a piece of cardboard in all of them so i'm i'm interested to revisit the world but i don't necessarily want to go back and watch that movie the only thing I know about the sequels is that Edie Falco was in like four of the sequels as a general or something. And I was like, what? General Edie Falco? Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, okay, fine. But anyway, sorry to go off track. No, that's that's what that's basically what we're here for. So Best Director is in uh, the real world won by Catherine Bigelow, but we decided Quentin Tarantino should uh, should get that for Inglorious oh Bastards. God. Hands down. Other nominees... James Cameron for Avatar, Lee Daniels for Precious, and Jason Reitman for Up in the Air. So I I actually, I mean, bringing it down, like Catherine Bigelow, I think I don't want to kick her out because I think that is a very well-directed movie. I think it's very tense, and I think she has a she has yeah. a pretty good mastery of that. I, agree. I think it was like a boring script, but there were some like very tense scenes that I would yes. attribute to her. And yeah. like Jeremy Renner was good in it. And yeah, that's I remember. Jason Reitman, have, have you seen? It's a, it's a it's a very good movie. Um, Anna Kendrick is another one who like might be able to play Summer though. She's a, I think she's yeah, yeah. I think it. I mean, maybe more so today than mm. than back then because she's in that movie. She's very like young and bubbly and like she weirdly gets an Oscar nomination this year. And you like wow, Anna Kendrick was nominated for an Oscar, yeah. but other nominees here so. Lee Daniels, Precious. That's a movie where it's like you want to watch that movie precisely once and not for the same reasons you want to watch Avatar precisely once because you're just like, oh, wow, this is really unpleasant. But it, it does a very good job at being unpleasant. So Mark Webb, 
I would say him and Jason Reitman are kind of like equal to me. I don't know yeah, if I can do you know it. What? Yeah. yeah, let's just leave them out of this. We're yeah. already gonna do, we're already gonna put it in best picture. It's a pretty so. it's yeah. pretty stacked year for directors. It is. Yeah, it's a it's a good year. It's a good year. Because uh, I, I I never saw it up in the air, but it got like a lot of attention, and it got a lot like of love. It's up in the air as a movie, and it, it you know what up in the air is also very timely because George Clooney in two thousand nine was playing a guy who was basically hired to fire people. And we were yeah. right in the mid, like right I, I, in the Great Recession. The first five minutes of this, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. And it's it, the movie ends up being about how his life is empty. It's kind of the opposite of of Tom in this movie, where mm-hmm. like Tom realizes he's giving too much of himself to like whoever, and George Clooney is just like the he's like I'm giving none of myself, and like th- this is how that's kind of shitty as well. Mm-hmm. But best actor. Jeff Bridges wins for Crazy Heart. George Clooney is nominated for Up in the Air. Colin Firth in A Single Man. Morgan Freeman in Invictus. And Jeremy Renner in The Hurt Locker. Uh, do we can, can we get Joseph Gordon-Levitt in there? Uh, you know, my opinion is that I don't think so. I think, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt would, would benefit more in being like nominated for a Golden Globe um, for something like this. I feel like the Oscars are always for like powerhouse performances of, of, of a lot of dramatic stuff and i feel like well this is our I, oscars this is our oscars okay well I, yeah. I, I i yeah i'd like to see him in there of course but um who do we who do we knock out all right that's I, Colin, I saw Colin Invictus. Perth, maybe. Was I, Invictus I, good? it was fine I'm, I'm i'm actually inclined as much as i respect morgan freeman yeah i think that i think that is the fact that he's playing nelson mandela is like, oh, it's Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela. He's going to get an Oscar nomination. And I, I hate to do it because this makes it such a fucking white category. Yeah, I but it's not really about that. I don't, I don't know if I, if Colin, how Colin Firth was in that. I'm sure he was I, like bet, I bet he's very bumbling and British and somehow charming. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, Je- I, did, I have seen Crazy Heart and Jeff Bridges was great in Crazy Heart. I'm you will have to kill me to get me to take away Jeff Bridges Oscar nomination. I, it, yeah. it would, it would, it would be like ripping off my own arm to do it, but yeah, yeah I, I keep him in there. Uh, I mean, I think we get it. We get a knockout Morgan Freeman. Like it's, he's just, it's not his best performance by any means. And I think, yeah. did, did we give, did we end up giving him an Oscar in, in Shawshank as well? Derek, I can't remember. It's been a while. I don't know if we, I don't know if we gave him an Oscar, but I think we definitely nominated. I mean, he was nominated anyway, right? He was nominated. I think yeah, it was like him yeah. or Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, and we were like, okay, right. Um, this is Levitt's. This is Levitt's probably his only chance to really get in the category. Yeah, for best for best actor. Yeah, yeah I agree. Okay, let's. Sorry, sorry, Morgan Freeman. We love you, but uh, not your Rick, year. You're a bastard. That was a horrible impression. Take that out. Nope, that's stated. I'm, I'm actually, it. I'm gonna play it again and again. It's gonna end all of our episodes going forward. Yeah, use it as a drop. Just yeah, <laughs> Rick, you're a bastard. It's so uh, bad. <laughs> all right, so best actress. So what we did is we knocked out. So it was won by Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side. We knocked her out. And replaced her with Melanie Laurent uh, for *Inglorious Bastards*. Yeah. So what a slap in the face to give this. Like at the time, we all love Sandra Bullock, and she's great. But to give this Oscar to Sandra Bullock and not Gabrielle Sidibe, yeah, is like it's rough. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just for the, the, I mean, the politics of it, if nothing else, yeah. right. It, it's just, it's not a great look. And, you know, Gabrielle Sidibe's career has not gone in a direction where she's been nominated for Oscars since then. I mean, not really. I don't think Sandra Bullock has either. Uh, I could be wrong, but probably her only chance unless something drastic happens. Mm-hmm. Similar to like the year of the of the Sixth Sense, where Michael Caine won over Haley Joel Osment. When Michael Caine's speech was like, "Haley Joel Osment, you're going to be up here so many times in the future." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other, so here's our nominees right now. We have not named a winner for the podcast. So it's Melanie Laurent, uh, Eshishana, and Inglorious Bastards, Helen Mirren in The Last Station, uh, Carrie Mulligan in An Education. Gabrielle Sidibe and Precious, and Meryl Streep in Julie and Julia. Well, you can't touch Streep. I think we might have to touch Streep. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think she gets that, touched. That performance, she can't be nominated for everything. I, yeah, I know. I, I, I honestly, I, I don't praise her as much as a lot of other people do, but I feel like her, I don't know. Uh, her best stuff is incredible. She's she is rightfully revered as an incredible actress, but I I have a hot take. I, I mean, this is a hot take. I don't have a favorite Meryl Streep movie. I, I don't think maybe I've never seen her like really good stuff, but I'm like I've I've never seen Meryl Streep in a movie and been like blown away. How much of your like '70s stuff have you seen? None. So yeah. I guess okay. That's why. So like Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, like, like I said, her her more recent stuff. I think she gets just nominated because she's Meryl Streep. Not that she's bad in anything. Uh, I think she's yeah. her more recent stuff. Have you seen Doubt? Nope, I've not seen Doubt. Let me t- let me just pitch you on watching Doubt. Philip Seymour Hoffman is a priest. Meryl Streep is a nun. Amy Adams is a younger nun. Philip Seymour Hoffman might have molested a child. I've seen one scene from that, and it was like yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character talking about his long nails, and it was so creepy. Yeah, it's like a weird like character thing he has where he just the character just has long nails. Yeah. And then in the movie, Meryl Streep's like, and, and cut your nails. Yeah. Uh yeah. It's it's I I love that movie. That's um that is it's it's not a again, not a pleasant movie to watch, but the the acting in it is so strong. I remember that getting a lot of Oscar attention. It it did, yeah. And it's um I think it won none of those three won, but um, Adams has never won an Oscar, which is crazy to me. I don't think she's. I don't. I'm not sure if she's been. Has she, she's been nominated, right? Um, for an Oscar, I don't know. I think. I think she might have. I think she was actually. This might have been Golden Globes. I think she was nominated for, of all things, Enchanted. Uh, okay, which, I thought maybe she was nominated for the Fighter, but maybe I'm wrong. She she may oh. have been that as well. It might have been a, a, yeah. a Golden Globe as well. Right. Right. Uh, but doubt Viola Davis is in it as well in one scene as the mother of the boy who may have been molested. She comes in and like goes toe to toe with Meryl Streep. And it's just like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Like who, who is this? And she should be in everything. And then she was in everything after that. Right. And now, now she gets nominated every year. Right. With Meryl. Yeah. Streep. Yeah. You know uh, what? I, you know what? I, I'm going to, I'm going to just say my, I'm right. Now. I don't, I don't, I don't put Joey here. I don't do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about these movies to say that, like Zoe definitely deserves to be here. Okay. All right. We'll we'll let it we'll let it stand as is. Do we want to name a winner from the from the nominees we have already? Are we ready to revisit that? I all I have to say is not Sandra. 
well, she's already out. We're not even considering her. Good. So it's it's Melanie Laurent, Helen Mirren, Carrie Mulligan, Gabrielle Sidibe, or Meryl Streep. Well, I'm gonna I'm in a Glorious Bastards guy, so I'm gonna go with her. Anthony, do you have a take? Glorious Bastards is the only one I've seen in that. Okay. Of, of those, I've seen like clips of Precious, and I like I just I know that like, Gabrielle Sidibe is like like great in that role but i i don't wouldn't know enough to say that she like definitely deserves to win um yeah i think it's i think it's either melanie ron or gabrielle sidibe and i i I feel like i should revisit precious but it's like again one of those movies where it's like i need to go home and take a shower and like hate myself for two hours Mm -hmm. but yeah so that's i don't think i mean this movie like we said it's short on supporting actors or actresses original screenplay i don't know is the is is the script super strong do we want to because original screenplay is the hurt locker wins the messenger which i've not seen a serious man which is the cohen's which is always going to be great and up so, so i'm not, I'm not gonna and, and glorious bastards as well and glorious bastards in this category yeah um I, like i said i think the hurt locker is like not a good script like i don't think it's an interesting movie like yeah. the only reason it's is because like Catherine bigelow did a good job building tension yeah um and I, I don't know. I've never seen The Messenger. I've never seen A Serious Man. But I, you know, I'm not going to knock the Coens out. But I think this is. A, I think this is a really strong script. Um, like it, like Derek said, and we've talked about. Maybe it was a, a collaboration between the the writers and director here. But um, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see it in this in this category. You know what? Let's knock out The Messenger because that's. I mean, I've never seen it, but it's it's had no cultural impact. I feel like. Uh, yeah, I, The Messenger's out. Five hundred days of summer is in. All right, so I think that's the only other thing I maybe wanted to um, to look at is editing because I think the editing in this is really strong. You know, especially like just again, just flexing your your filmmaking muscles here with the your expectation versus reality scene. It it's, I mean, the, the nominees are the Hurt Locker wins because it's just everyone's just like, all right, Hurt Locker down the ballot because mm-hmm. yeah, this is just that it's it's year. Uh, other nominees: Avatar, District Nine, and Glorious Bastards, and Precious. I don't remember the editing in Precious being especially great, especially great aspect of that film. So I'm I'm tempted to yeah. get that. Just by listening to the names, I would say I would replace this movie with Precious, and because this director also has experience making music videos, he he's able to be creative. And we've seen it; we've seen it in this movie. So yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Now comes the most important part of the podcast, and we've been Please. running long, so Derek probably forgot about it. I always do. Yep. So, Derek, here's where we throw 30 seconds on the clock, an actual stopwatch, and you tell us why 500 Days of Summer is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you ready? Never. Too bad. Three, okay. two, one, go. Have you ever had a broken heart have you ever felt the way that a teenager feels when they get broken up by a girl that they that they absolutely love or vice versa well this movie is for you this is about heartbreak but it really gives you a lot of comedy it gives you a lot of cool sequences a lot of cool editing some great acting i totally recommend this movie it may be one of the greatest movies of all time in its category i think you should check it out y'all all right, that's time. Almost 30 seconds on the dot. Good one there, Derek. Man. So, I mean, that's 500 days. I feel like of... I do worse every time. I do I do worse and worse every episode. <laughs> I, I mean, 
Anyway. All right. All right. Thank you. <laughs> no. Uh, no, you're, you're doing great, Derek. So that was 500 Days of Summer, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Again, find us on social media. Listen to our old episodes on whatever podcast app you use. Leave a review if you can, because that is very helpful. And subscribe, because that's going to help us out and, and get us more listeners, because that's how things work in podcast world, apparently. So that was this week. Next couple of weeks, it is Valentine's Day this week. And I got to pick the category for the next two episodes, for the next Rick's pick and the next Rex pick. And I chose a movie that at its heart had to be about romance. And I chose one of my favorite movies of all time. I think this has a strong case for being one. I mean, we'll talk about it more, but it's it's pretty comfortably one of my top five movies of this century, at least. And that is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. So I am looking forward to talking about that one. Derek, what was your choice? So uh, I know on off off camera, off audio, I told you I was picking something, but I actually changed my mind. Okay. I am going with an unorthodox choice for sort of a Valentine's-y romance film. Sure. I'm going with a movie that stars Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson. I'm going with the movie Her. Yes. Nice. What a, uh, what a great choice here. Yeah, quite the back-to-back coming up. I'm, I'm looking forward to both of those episodes. So, uh, Anthony, I don't think so, but we ask our guests this every every episode we have guests on. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah. Well, we plugged my Twitter earlier. You can follow yep. me on Twitter. I, I post a lot about uh, my fiance and I. We foster a lot of dogs and puppies. Uh, so if you are in the New England area, I will plug Sweet Paws Rescue. Uh, we foster through them. They're fantastic. Adopt adopt a dog. Uh, they're the best. Um, and yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'll post about dogs that are fostering. I'll post about um i'm a, a professor at bu so if you're a bu student take my classes i'll plug those um and i sometimes tweet about that and dungeons and dragons and other like fun nerdy stuff sweet excellent all right so thank you so much for joining us on the greatest movie of all time join us next time for eternal sunshine of the spotless mind I have been your co-host, the nature boy, Rick Barrasso. Oh, man, that was cool. And I'm just Rex Smith. <laughs> and keep watching, everybody. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's I'm the heartbreak kid, Rex Smith. Nope, too late. Uh... <laughs> and I'm the best guest there is, the best guest there ever was. And the best <laughs> <of the> <laughs> Anthony yes. and Bret Hart Barrasso. All right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Keep watching. <laughs>